So Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21 is what we'll look at. This will finish us through Romans 10. And then we'll do Romans 11 for, I believe it's three weeks. And then the week after Thanksgiving begins Advent. And we will break from Romans, do an Advent series through Christmas. Um, and then we'll settle back into Romans sometime in, in January. And I believe we'll, we'll likely be able to get through Romans before the summer. Perhaps, perhaps. Someone asked me this morning how long we've been going through Romans. or No, no, it was, when are we going to be done with Romans? And they, they weren't asking because they were tired of it. It's just that that was a question, and my response was when we get done with it, you know. So, but I, I, think, uh, I think we'll be able to get through it in, in by the end of the spring. All right, so Romans chapter 10. So, you know, this is one of those passages, again, if you've been around church for a while, if you grew up in Sunday school, you might recognize some of the verses. Um, for others, it's going to be new to you. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, there in these section, this section that we're looking at, there's a lot of Old Testament quoted and so if you've been doing our reading plan, it's likely that you spent some time in the Old Testament this week because what Paul is doing is, is quoting a lot of the Old Testament to, to build his case. And so what we're going to do this morning is uh, we'll, we'll talk through some of those Old Testament things this morning that, that do come up. But as I was looking at this, these verses for this morning, um, one of the things that comes to mind to me is the way sometimes people will treat or respond to someone who says, I don't need to believe the same way you believe regarding the gospel. It's okay for you to trust in Jesus, but I believe differently about God or about religion or, or whatever. And sometimes our response, especially in our culture now, that really does not want to offend because we think the greatest offense is to offend, and that's just not the case. But out of that desire to not offend someone, oftentimes we will say, that's okay. That's great. Like, and, and we may even affirm them in that, right? And we would say something like this. We'd say, that's okay. If that's true for you, this is what's true for me. Or you can believe what you want to believe, and, and I can believe what I want to believe. And maybe sometimes people will go even further, and they'll say, you know, this is just what, where I've chosen to live, to live and believe. This is what I, I believe and, and what helps me get through. And so now we've just told them that our beliefs are just a crutch, right? And, and, so, and, then, we, and then we say, but if that's what helps you get through? See, I, I've heard all this. I think you've probably heard all this. Here's the question this morning. Is that okay? Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that. Y'all want to get up and preach? <laughs> yeah, no, not, because the question I have to ask is, is that God's perspective? Is it really okay for me to affirm someone? Now, I can understand sometimes language, we just, our language gets kind of muddy. We're, we're trying to figure out how best to respond. But I think when we go that extra step and we say, it's okay if you believe this, the question I'm asking this morning, and I think we need to wrestle with as we look at these verses, is that God's perspective? Is it okay for a person to not believe the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, but instead to believe that Buddha and his eightfold path to enlightenment is the way to go? Or, or some other set of beliefs, is that okay? Or is it okay for us to say to someone, hey, you choose not to believe that there's a God? That's okay. You know, if that's how you are able, is that okay? And I think the, question, the answer, yeah, you guys are, many of you are picking up on it. But we want to we ask that question this morning. Here's where we're going this morning. The way we're going to see this is what God holds us responsible for. And so in these verses, you're going to see that, that God holds us responsible for some things as, as humans. So we are responsible for proclaiming and responding to the gospel. Okay. There's two things we're going to look at this morning that I think are in, the, in these verses that, that we see that God holds people responsible for, proclaiming the gospel and responding to the gospel. 
And then if he holds us responsible for these things, then what are the ramifications? So let's look at that first one. We are responsible for proclaiming the gospel. So now up to this point, what, what Paul has done, chapter 9 was a hard chapter. You remember we did two weeks on it. And what we saw is God's free. God has a level of freedom that no one else has. And he's free to show mercy to whom he shows mercy. And, and so he shows compassion to whom he shows compassion. We saw Paul put that forward, that God's free. And out of this, what Paul's trying to do is he, he's trying to, to help his readers understand that God is still faithful despite what they see. Because the church he's writing to, they see lots of non-Jewish people responding to the gospel in faith. And they see a very few number of Jewish by birth people responding to the gospel. And they're thinking through this and they're going, wait a minute, these Jewish people, isn't that the people that God has this covenant with and that God has these promises with all throughout the Old Testament? And yet they're not responding to the supposed Jewish Messiah? What's going on? Is God not faithful like he claims to be because his people seem to be failing. And so Paul in Romans 9, 6 would say, hey, it's not as though the word of God has failed. And that's what drives his whole focus through chapter 9, 10, and 11. Is try, he's concerned about showing that God's word has not failed. And then with also showing that he has a great concern for these Jewish people who have not responded to the gospel in faith. And so he's trying to put those two together. And what he showed us in chapter 9 is the reason God's word has not failed is because God is, is free to show compassion to who he shows compassion and mercy to whom he shows mercy. And he's continuing to call people to himself. And in chapter 10, as he approached chapter 10, he, he's helping us see that, hey, God is calling people that are not Jewish to himself. The gospel has been extended to non-Jewish people. This is how we know that God is still faithful because people are still hearing the gospel and still proclaiming the gospel. And where he ended in verse 13, he, he said this at the end of verse 13. He was quoting from the, the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's that line of thinking that then leads him into verse 14 to ask the question that, that we see now in verse 14. So look with me there, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And I'm going to go ahead and read verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. All right, so back in, in 14, what, what Paul is doing now is he's just said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now he wrestles with the process. He explains what's the process. How does a person get to that spot? where they can call on the name of the Lord. Now, he's shown us God's side, right? And, and as we talked about last week, after seeing God's side, God's side being, I'll show mercy to whom I have shown mercy and I'll show compassion whom I have shown show compassion, right? You see God's side. You might walk away thinking, well, there's no human responsibility in this, which is exactly what Paul was trying to go after in the second part of Romans 9. Who can resist his will? And, and Paul would say, who are you, oh man, to question God, right? And, and can God really find fault? And, and his, question, his answer back is, who are you, right? So he's already kind of wrestled with that, but we might walk away from that saying there's no responsibility. In fact, we might walk away from that and going, well, then what's the point in proclaiming the gospel? Why do I even need to share it? If God's going to show compassion on who he wants to show compassion and show mercy to who he wants to show mercy, then why do I need to do anything? 
And, and yet Paul doesn't even take that up. Paul doesn't even try to reconcile that tension. He doesn't even address the concern that you and I have. Instead, what he goes into is, now here's hum- humanity's side. Here's what God holds humanity responsible for. And so as I've been trying to point out to you throughout this book, especially is there's two things that run parallel. God's sovereign, we might call him sovereign, his freedom to do as he pleases, right? And humanity's responsibility. They run parallel to one another and they never intersect in our understanding. But what we try to do is try to figure out where do they intersect? How does God's freedom, God's sovereignty, and humanity's responsibility fit together neatly in a way where we can explain it that makes logical sense? And you won't ever get there. If you get there, you've likely either diminished God's sovereignty, his freedom, and you've elevated humanity's responsibility, or you've done the reverse. You've completely diminished humanity's responsibility, and you've elevated God's, um, God's sovereignty to a spot where he's not elevated it, right? To where you've made people into robots, right? They've got to run parallel. The scriptures, the scriptures teach both. God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And yet the scripture does not excuse humanity. It holds us responsible. And so Paul is now wrestling with and trying to help his readers understand if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get there? And so he works backwards. So he starts at the end, a person calling on the Lord, and works backwards. So how will they call on him if they've not believed? How can they believe if they've not heard? How, have they, how can they hear if someone isn't preaching? And how can someone be preaching if they haven't been sent? Right? That's, that's where he, he works from the, the end result to the, the beginning. So what I want to do is flip that for a moment. And let's talk about those. But let's start with the beginning part, right? Let's start with someone being sent. Because what Paul is going to do here is he's going to make the case that people have been sent. Right? In fact, Paul's one of those people who have been sent to proclaim the gospel. Right? So if the requirements for a person getting to a spot where they can call on the Lord to be saved starts with someone has to be sent. Paul's a perfect example of someone who's been sent. Right? And yet we can go back even further. Because if someone's going to be sent, they have to be sent by someone who has authority to send. If someone's going to be sent to proclaim the word of faith, the gospel, they have to be sent by the person who holds that content of that message, the substance of that message. Work ourselves backwards just a little bit more. You remember at the end of Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus is already raised from the dead, but he's not yet gone into heaven. He's revealed himself to over 500 eyewitnesses after raising from the dead. And he appears to some of those eyewitnesses in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember, the person who's going to sin has to have authority to sin. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So Jesus' last words on earth before he rose uh, up into heaven to his followers is, now go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? It starts with evangelism. How you make a disciple is the person who is not a believer in Christ needs to hear about Christ. 
They need to hear the gospel about Christ so that they can believe, and then they become a growing disciple of Christ. And then the, the, the disciple-making part of that is, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. See, because the Great Commission is not just about uh, evangelism. That's one part of the Great Commission. That's one step in the process of making disciples. It's, it starts there. You can't, you can't skip that step. Right? But then you've got to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So Jesus sends. Right? But that's not the first time that God sends. Right? You see, you can go back further in history, and the way that God was working through this one particular nation, the people of Israel, a nation he himself created out of nothing. He called one man, Abraham, out of the area of Babylon. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Right? And from that nation, he, the, the, the goal was that that particular nation that God was inheriting for himself was going to be a light to all the other nations. The goal was never to create like a monastery type of situation where the, the Jewish people are the only ones that get to know God and get saved. The goal was God is going to uniquely work among this particular group of people. And he gave them the law so that they would know how to relate to him as God. Right? And then as they would relate and live before their God and live that out among the nations, then the nation of Israel would be a light to the other nations, drawing the other nations to God. And so God had sent the people of Israel, and they did not fulfill God's commission. But that's not even the first time that God sent. You see, if you go back a little further, um, you, you could go to Noah. Right, because Noah was like the start over uh, of, of the creation. Right, everybody else is wiped out except for these Noah and his family. And then Noah gets off the ark, and God says, "Hey, be fruitful and multiply." Yes, it means have kids, but there's more to it than that. Right, that's certainly a primary application. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Go. That 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 command to fill the earth is a command to don't stay here. Fill the earth. Right now, that same command was given back in Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the first humans and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, rule over the earth and fill it. Right? The idea was that these people who were made in the image of God and an image includes representing the one whose image you bear. And so the idea of being an image bearer is to go out and represent God. And so be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, create more representatives for God, and fill the earth. Spread God's uh, kingdom over the earth. That was the sin. That's from the very beginning of, of human history. And yet we could go even back further to eternity past, and we could say God is a sending God. Because even before, before all of creation, God had already predetermined he was going to send his son. That was not a plan B decision when humanity didn't measure up. This was God in eternity past before he ever created. Just store this away, pull it out later, put it in your pipe, no, put it in your hopper, um, and, and chew on that, or, or whatever metaphor works that does not, does not cause a distraction for you. Pipe was not going to be a good one. All right. Um, all right. Yep. Yeah, we are in Oklahoma, but I, yeah, okay. Um, so... Just chew on this for a moment. Before God ever created, he had already planned to send Jesus the Son. He's ascending God. Now, you can chew on why. All right? Now, so who has, who has been sent? So Paul says, if, if someone's going to proclaim the message, someone has to be sent. The point is, somebody has been sent. In fact, Paul makes that case by quoting here from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
people have been sent. All right, so that's the first thing. So, so if someone's going to get to a spot where they're, they're, they're able to call on the, the Lord to be saved, someone has to be sent. And God is sent. All right? But if you're going, working our way uh, from the beginning, we, we go from someone being sent to now someone has to preach. All right? So now that person who's sent, they're sent with a very specific message. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. Right? We don't get to determine the content of, what, of the message that we bring when we preach. Right? We, we, as, as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, we don't get to determine what that message is. We learn what that message is as someone who's been sent, and we proclaim that message. Now, Paul's going to get real specific in a moment about that message. So far, in, in a few verses earlier, he said it's the word of faith that we proclaim. In a moment, he's going to say the word of, uh, concerning Jesus. So let's just fast forward for a moment. The message that people who are sent out to proclaim is the message concerning Jesus. It's the gospel, the good news about what God has done through Christ for a sinful, rebellious humanity. That God has done everything that is necessary in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, so that those who respond to him by faith, earlier I said being rightly related to him by faith, Right? Those who respond to him by faith will be made right with God. That's the, the, the essence and the core of the message. But we don't get to determine what that message is. We proclaim the message that we've been given. All right? So if someone has to be sent, they have to preach. I'm going to work my way backwards again. And how are they to hear without preaching? So if someone's preaching, Paul then emphasizes somebody has to hear. Now, like we talked about last week with confess and believe, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Paul's point is not that you literally have to hear, okay? And when you come to things like this, it just requires some critical thinking. Because if Paul really meant a person has to physically hear, then does that not exclude somebody who cannot physically hear? Paul's not trying to exclude people who cannot physically hear. So Paul's writing this message out. So does it count if a person reads the message? Yeah, I think so. I think Paul's point is the communication of the message has to be received. The message has to be communicated. Okay? They have to, they have, to uh, have that message of Christ communicated to them, whether it's audibly, written. Um, listen, here's the other, other way that would, would kind of challenge you to think. Right? In Iran, this has been for, for several years now, we're hearing of this. Muslims in the country of Iran where Christian missionaries are not allowed. I'm sure they're there. They're, they're under the radar. Right? But they're not allowed, and Christianity is squashed. It's certainly not encouraged. Muslims in Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, but particularly we're hearing about it out of Iran, are getting the gospel communicated to them, hold, hold, directly by Jesus in a dream. We are hearing report after report after report of Jesus revealing himself to these Muslims in a dream. Now, they know who he is, Isa. It's part of their Quran. He's a prophet in Islam. He's revealing himself to them. But then what we're hearing them as they report about these dreams is in the, in the dreams, they're hearing Jesus and seeing Jesus communicate to them who he is, who he really is. And then they're coming to faith as a result of that. Yeah. So again, the, the content is the, the key here. The, the content has to be proclaimed so that people can hear, read, however that's received, but the content cannot be absent. In other words, you can't just tell people, go to church. 
You, you can't just tell people that I'm a Christian, you should be a Christian. You can't. That, that's not the way the message works, right? That's not the way God is working to bring people to himself. It involves someone being sent. By the way, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been sent, right? Someone who is sent proclaiming the message that God is sending them with, and that message has to be communicated. So that, that great quote, and it serves a purpose whether it's attributed to uh, what St. Francis of Assisi or not, that proclaim the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words. It's always. In other words, I, I might think that if I just live my life before them faithfully obedient to the Lord, they're going to understand the gospel. They won't. What we hope for is in that moment, they're drawn to Christ because of the way I live and an opportunity comes up for them to understand the gospel, to hear it, to, to have it communicated to them. But I cannot just simply live my life before someone and think that's proclaiming the gospel. That's not. That's living out the gospel, but it's not proclaiming the gospel. At some point, whether that's, whether that's immediately or whether that's years down the road as you lay, lay foundation brick after brick or as you, as you build relationship collateral, um, as a capital, as you, as you do that over time, maybe then you get the opening, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to work differently for all situations. You've got to be open to, to, to God's timing on this, right? But at some point, I'm asking God, hey, give me an opportunity or place someone else in their life who can proclaim that. Always has to have the content communicated, right? So that, the next step, is so that they can believe. That's how God then brings about belief in a person, in response to the gospel, in response to the content, the message about Christ. And then this calling that Paul talks about is, again, not a separate step like, oh, I believe, and now I have to at some point in my life call on the Lord. No, it's the type of calling that comes out of belief. It's like what he did with confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's the same thing he's just saying in different ways. The type of calling on the Lord to be saved is the type of calling that comes out of belief that's genuinely coming out of the heart. Right? And so Paul, working his way backwards, is saying this is the necessary process. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how will they call on him unless, and he works his way backwards. And Paul's point now, we're going to keep moving forward, is they have been sent. Verse 15, they have been sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But there's a necessary part of that process that's not being met in Paul's experience when he considers these Jewish people that are not believers in Christ. Look at verse 16. It's kind of a, kind of a side note. He kind of breaks his chain in verse 16. And he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so Paul stops and he's been, remember, he's concerned about these Jewish people who are not believing in Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. They, he says, but they've not, they've not all obeyed the gospel. That's what the church he's writing to has experienced. Now back it up a little bit and we could say by way of application, there are people all around us, some in this room perhaps, some in our families, some in our, our places of business, right? Where we can say, hey, they've not believed. They, they've heard I know they've heard in some cases, right? But they've not believed. That's a necessary part of the process to, to a person getting to the spot where they can call the name of the Lord for salvation. But if they don't believe, they're not going to get there. And Paul says, they've not believed. And he says, Isaiah already talked about this. When Isaiah was, was given his message, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. He was given a message and God said to him, now you're going to take this message and it's going to fall on deaf ears. But go proclaim it. 
but it's going to fall on deaf ears. In other words, Isaiah, I'm sending you on a mission trip, and you're going to proclaim the gospel to these people, and nobody's going to respond, Isaiah. You're not going to be successful in your sending church's perspective. You're going to come back to give a report on how many people were saved, and your answer is going to be zero, and everyone in that room is going to think you're a failure, Isaiah. But I'm telling you to go and do it because this is what I need to have done. This is what I want to have done. Paul's now bringing that back up. Isaiah wrestled with the same thing. It's happening. All right. He clarifies, and he sums up this part of his, his verses. Verse 17. So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's absolutely necessary. And God holds us responsible for proclaiming the gospel. God, does God need us? No. Could God continue to reveal himself in dreams to people? Absolutely. And he will, and he does. But God in his wisdom has decided and determined that in his, his sovereign creation of all things and in his, his plan and his purpose that he's going to use people to proclaim the message about Christ. Now, what if I don't proclaim the message to someone? Is, is that make God a failure? No. God's sovereign. If you don't, someone will. But you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on being a part of what God's doing. And you may be being disobedient to God if he's calling you to do that. And again, if you're a follower of Christ, you have already been sent. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Doesn't mean you have to go across the pond, right? Where do you work? Where do you live? Remember, we, it's been a while since we talked about it, but in Matthew 28, go is a participle. It's not a verb. It's, it's as you are going, make disciples. In other words, the assumption that Jesus has is you're going to be going about. As you're going, make disciples. It's not just a go over there, but when you're here, you don't. It's wherever you're at. Family, co-workers, friends, community. As you go, make disciples. You've been sent. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been sent. And it's absolutely necessary that those who are sent proclaim the message that God has given us so that people can hear it and respond to it in belief. God holds people responsible for proclaiming the message. These next few verses, though, are about God holding people responsible for responding to the gospel. So remember, he's wrestling with these, in, in the immediate context of the letter, these Jewish people who have not believed. And do they get a pass? Is it okay for us when someone says, I don't believe that, for us to be giving them assurances that that's okay, you can believe that, and you, is that okay? This is where that really comes into play here. Verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And so now Paul is, is wrestling particularly with unbelieving Jewish people, and by way of application, you can hear in this, this is true for unbelieving people, those who have not responded to the gospel in faith, right? I ask, have they not heard? And of course they've heard, he says. And then he goes to Psalm 19, verse 4. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. Now the first part of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the, 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 the sky proclaims his handiwork, right? And, and he talks about how the, the, the creation proclaims the existence of God, proclaims the power of God, and Paul has already done that as well in Romans 1, right? Where he says, hey, these people that have suppressed the truth about God 
are without excuse because God has made himself evident, his eternal attributes and his power in creation. That's right from there. Psalm 19. Now, the second part of Psalm 19 is about some special um, revelation. So we would call things in creation general revelation, God revealing himself in nature. It's why you can look up at the sky or through a telescope and go, man, there's, there's got to be something bigger than me because this is just too complex and too vast. Or you can look under a microscope and you go, man, there's got to be something bigger than me because this is so complex and, and fits together so well. It's like there's a design to it, right? The reason we do that is because God has designed it in creation. It's his general revelation of himself. But that's not enough, and Paul's not saying that's enough to save a person. For me to simply acknowledge that God exists and that he is... Uh, out there, even for me to say that the God of the Bible exists, that's not enough to save a person. It requires a preacher being sent, the message being, uh, uh, the word of, of Christ being proclaimed, a person hearing that and responding in belief and calling on the Lord, right? But Paul's point here is, just as God has sent out through creation himself, he's proclaimed himself throughout all creation, there's no one without excuse, now Paul's making the case that the word of faith, the gospel, has been proclaimed. It has, it, it too, just like what creation has been doing about God in general, the word of faith has gone out into all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. Paul's using the wording of Psalm 19 to say, hey, they have heard. This is not a new message. The, the Jewish people that are not believing, they don't get an excuse because they haven't heard the message. They have heard. Okay, Paul, let's, let's follow that line of thinking. Paul then goes next with verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? So now, now Paul's going, well, perhaps they've heard, but maybe you're thinking, but they just didn't understand. Right? They didn't understand that, that there's going to be non-Jewish people brought in. See, most Jewish people who failed to believe were under the assumption that they would be saved simply because they were Jewish because of their birth, because of who they were related to. And Paul's already addressed that, but, but he's saying, but did they not understand God's plan? No, they understood God's plan. Here's Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Moses, God says through Moses to the people, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. God's kind of foreshadowing at that point. There's gonna be a group of people who is not a nation before me. It's not Israel. And I'm going to use those people, and they're going to make you jealous. They're going to make you angry. Now, that language is coming back in chapter 11. So that's Deuteronomy. Then he goes to Isaiah. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found. This is God speaking through Isaiah. I have been found by those who did not seek me. That would be the non-Jewish people. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That would be the non-Jewish people. And so when Paul is saying, did they not understand? He's saying, but here it is. It's in the law, Deuteronomy. That would be the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, right? And the prophets, Isaiah. So he's summing it all up. It's in all of their scriptures. It's not just in one spot. It was in the law and the prophets. They have no excuse for not understanding that God always intended to include the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And because Gentiles are responding, Paul's point is, it has gone into all the world. Right? The gospel has moved past the nation of Israel, the physical Jews, and it has gone to the rest of the people of the world. Not every single individual person. That's not Paul's point. That's why we're still doing what we're doing. But he's saying, because it has spread past the Jewish people and to all the other people groups. 
It's been proclaimed. It's, it's past. It's past them, it is. And then verse 21 then. But of Israel, he says, all day long, this is God speaking, again from Isaiah, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There's two things in there. One, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient, contrary people. The emphasis could be I've held out my hands. God's merciful. Like, God could have been done with Israel a long time ago. But Paul's point is he's not. Right now, he, he's making them jealous with this other nation, these, these, these other people who are being brought into the family of God. And that's where he's going next in 11, right? But God is continuing to hold his hands out. But just because people fail to believe the gospel does not mean God is not faithful. God is always intended to be doing things the way things are playing out. And it also could be on the disobedience. Now, I hadn't hit that. So if we were to go backwards just a little bit, I want to show you something here. Did you notice how verse 16 was worded? when Paul stopped and he talked about those who have not believed the gospel. Is it okay for us to say to someone who says, I don't believe that gospel, I don't believe that message, right? I believe this. Is it okay for us to say, that's okay, it's, it's, that's, that's right for you, this is right for me? Because God's perspective is to not believe the gospel is to disobey the gospel. Not believing is disobedience to God. That's a serious offense, which means then if I'm going to obey God, it's to believe the gospel. But I can't tell people and give them a false assurance that you're all right with God if you choose not to believe the gospel, because then I'm saying to them, it's okay for you to be disobedient to God. Guess what that gets them? Wrath. That's, that's where Paul started, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed against the unrighteousness of humanity. That's where we start, right? And it's God's mercy that pulls us out from under that wrath through Christ. And so if I encourage a person who's not believing the gospel that it's okay that you don't believe, go ahead and pursue that anyway. I'm saying to them, it's okay for you to disobey, disobey the creator of all things, the supreme being, the high king of heaven. I should be held accountable for that. Which is why then preachers have to be sent who proclaim the message of Christ. And it's why God holds us responsible. We're responsible for proclaiming and responding to the gospel. We don't get a pass. And it's also not just a few people who get to do this. It's not just the, the paid professionals, as if we even have professional Christians. Right? It, it's not the, the people who are super Christians. No, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've believed in Jesus, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, you are sent. You're sent. And I'm going to make a very strong statement, and I will, I will stand by this. If you, as a follower of Christ, if I, as a follower of Christ, do not actively pursue the mission of God by proclaiming the gospel, by making disciples, and I understand that looks different, then we are being disobedient to God. If I say that's for someone else to do, then I'm being disobedient to God. And so if that's you, if that's me, maybe this morning as we let this sit on us is, God, show me. Show me. Am I being disobedient? 
Am, am, I, am I failing to obey God by not proclaiming the gospel? Am I missing opportunities or am I not even looking for opportunities? And others of you this morning, perhaps what you need to hear is this is the message. You don't have to work. You don't have to obey your way into God's favor and acceptance because you can't. You fail miserably every time. We all do. Instead, Jesus has done everything that is necessary. He has obeyed so that we don't have to try to reach a standard that we will continue to fail at. But instead, when we trust in, when we believe in Christ, his life of perfect obedience, his death, a sacrifice on our behalf, his resurrection from the dead to a new type of life that he offers to those who believe in him. If we respond to him by trusting in that and that alone, then we receive the very righteousness of God. And that would be to obey. And then the way we live our life in obedience to God, it's in response to what he's done, not to earn something. So let's let that set on us for a moment. Ask the Lord, what did he have for you this morning? What has your name on it? Scars and struggles on the way, born with joy sing that song I'm in the back and I'm looking around not because I'm judging you not as someone who's entrusted with caring for the people that God brings here I'm just looking and asking God what's going on what, what are you doing in the lives of, of the people here and, and some of you it's, it's more visible the, the way you were responding I could tell as we're singing this chorus you're resonating with I'm currently experiencing God's faithfulness and I need to lean on it even more right now. And some of you I know what's going on and some of you I don't. And even for those that I know what's going on, I don't even know really the, the half of it. But I think a message like this, that, that God is faithful. And as we look at these scriptures and we, we think that God, that Paul's concern was that God's word has not failed. We need, we must depend upon someone who's greater than us. We need God. Anything else, anyone else, falls miserably short and will not sustain, cannot carry us, cannot provide the strength. We need a God who is faithful and who has shown himself faithful. And so I don't know what it is you're praying for these days, 
But maybe there's a prayer that you've stopped praying recently because you got tired of it or you stopped praying this prayer because, well, God hasn't answered it the way you thought he should answer it or he didn't answer it in the way that you think or the, in the time frame that you think. And so you've stopped asking God and yet James would tell us, hey, sometimes you don't have things because you don't ask. And sometimes you don't have things because you ask and you ask for wrong motives. But hey, if you've stopped praying a prayer and God didn't tell you to stop praying that prayer, keep praying that prayer. Because God's faithful. And if it's something he wants for you, it's gonna help, it's gonna come. It's gonna come to pass. But do you trust that God is faithful? A God who a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day because you look at it and you're going, it's Sunday, God. I started praying this on Thursday, right? Some of y'all have been praying prayers for five, 10, 20 years. You're praying for people who have not believed and you know they've heard the gospel. And now you're wrestling this morning with their disobedience to God. Some of you have been asking for God to heal you and you've stopped because either you think God doesn't do that or you think that God's tired of you asking. And yet I remember Jesus telling a story about this annoying widow who just never stopped asking this judge for stuff and then the judge finally gave in. Not that you can annoy God, but if an annoying widow can get a judge, Jesus' point was, your God wants you to be persistent. I remember another story of Jesus where, where he would say, hey, if you're loving, if you as a father of, of, of kids here on earth know how to give your kids the things that they need, don't you think your heavenly father knows even better? And from the verses that Jared read earlier from Matthew 6, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about the things that that you need. God knows them. And look how beautiful the lilies of the fields are clothed. Look, look how the birds seem to just always have food to eat. Aren't you someone made in the image of God? More important? So I'm going to ask you, Jared, let's just sing that one more time. And I think maybe it would be good if we could stand, if you're able. And some of you might want to proclaim this this morning. And you're proclaiming it to God. Hey, I know this to be true. I trust you in this. But some of you, you're going to be proclaiming it to you reminding yourself God is faithful and um, if you're back there on the slide just go ahead and throw the um, I know I told you I wasn't going to do this but just throw that slide up there for us these are words that we know are true about you in our head but sometimes our head doesn't compute with our heart so make it true in our experience as well that we would know you and experience you as faithful today that there are people in this room who need to to be encouraged by you today in ways that only you know so God I ask that you would encourage them in a way that they would then know that is only God how else would anyone know speak to them God in the deepest parts of their hearts 
God, I pray in your compassion that you would answer some of these prayers that have been prayed for, for decades, that you would draw people to Christ this morning that, that have been disobedient and rebelling, and now this morning you're showing them that, and they're, they're going to call on the grace that is yours in Christ extended to us. God, encourage and stir up the faith of others who are continuing to pray prayers. And God, build up their faith through that, that they would not stop, but they would know you as faithful. And now as we prepare to depart from here, you've been sent. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded you. Do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you.